Good morning, everyone. Now you're going to do better than that. Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day. What would Father's Day be without bacon, hey? It's just like the Lord loves men and blesses us with bacon. You know, that's just, I feel that's from God. Also, if you see that video, you reckon, realize being a dad can be quite a tricky job. Because on the one hand, as men, we like to encourage our kids to be as risky as humanly possible, and then we have to keep them alive. So it's like double jeopardy, because you either, you know, and then you've got to tell your wife that you've got everything under control, when you know you don't. And, uh, but it's, it's awesome. Dad's amazing. Um, I'm going to preach about Father's Day, but before I do that, we've got Chester from Live Village, and he's going to join me. I'm going to ask him a few questions. Please give him a hand. <laughs> have a microphone. Uh, if you don't know Chester, Chester used to be at this church. I actually knew Chester when he was a coach at the Sharks Academy, and I was, I was believing in him to be the next, uh, maybe not the next, but down the line to be a head coach for the Sharks. I was buying him books by Tony Dungy, uh, who is an amazing American football coach. Uh, and, but anyway, Chester, it's so good to have you. Um, Please, can you just tell us a little bit about how you and your wife, Ati, ended up on the village? Thank you so much, Gary. Just firstly, good morning, um, Olive Tree. It's so good to be back home. I, I see this as my second home. Like Gary says, um, yeah, I, I grew up here, uh, part of my spiritual walk, uh, being led by Ross and the rest of the eldership team. So it just really feels good for me to be here and also just coming along with our team from the village. Um, yeah, guys, I think Olive Tree has always played a massive role in our lives. Um, got married here in 2009. And then in 2010, um, two very significant things happened to me. I was a father for the second time, and then also got to be invited to the banquet where Titch Smith, the founder of Live Village, was sharing um, about the vision that he got from God, about building a village where children will come to know God as their father in heaven, create job opportunities for rural communities so that people can bring dignity back into their homes. And thirdly, the government will come and see how this works and will point them to the cross. That's amazing. Um, tell us a little bit about the heart and your heart for, for the village, because, I mean, it's obvious that you guys love children and all that kind of stuff, but I think there's something big, and it's always inspiring to hear from someone that carries a vision so strongly in their own heart. So what is your heart for the village? Why do you do what you do? Yeah, thanks, Gary. The Father heart of God is something which you often talk about um, from different experiences um, and knowing that Jesus died for us because God sent him as his one and only son. And what the village has done for me personally and how I've experienced his love by being a vehicle that God has used to love the children that he's placed on the village. And so personally, um, the spirit of adoption is what the village is all about. And I really just wanted to share from Romans 8, verse 15, because I really believe that this is the very core of why Live Village, Live village exists. The spirit, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And so really the heart of the village is introducing the children to this heavenly father. And from that point on, from them, from understanding their identity in Christ, that they will be um, loving citizens and also children and, and people that will change this nation. 
That's awesome. Um, last question, um, in case anyone here is wondering, how do we get involved? I mean, Viv isn't that far from us, but how do we get involved uh, in that space? Yeah, guys, I think if you look at our website, there's a lot of ways, really, that people can get involved. But I really felt in my heart this morning, um, as I was praying about just sharing at this point, is that if we can just take our hands and put our hands out in front of us, can I invite us to do that this morning? Just to have a look at your hands. Um, it was about three months or so that I'd been on the village and uh, just walking around the village with uh, Baba Smith um, Titch. And um, he said something very profound to me. He said, Chester, I want you to get your hands dirty so that one day when you speak on behalf of these children, you'll know exactly what you're talking about. Um, in our nation, as we all know, there's many areas that need for us to get our hands dirty. And as I speak, as I share this morning, I really just feel that as you look at your hands this morning, there's something that God has placed in each of us. There's something that you're carrying which is needed in our nation. And I really believe that this is a season where every single one of us as believers has the opportunity and the window to get our hands dirty. And this is where we'll see the transformation in our nation. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like I said, on the website, one can look and see. But I always say, come and see the village. Come and walk on the grounds. Come and get your hands dirty. Then I know that God will show you exactly what it is that he's looking for you to do. And just to also say that it's not just about Live Village. There are many other communities and areas in our nation, in KZN, that are looking for people, looking for believers who know who they are in Christ and going out there to be the light that God is calling us to be. So that is really just an invitation and also just an encouragement because also for me, having sat at church and coming to Olive Tree for many years, the time that I got to the village, I really believe that that is when my, 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 my sonship and my, and my full inheritance of being a son of God was awakened to understand that I have so much more value and so much to give in terms of uh, being part of the transformation of our nation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chesie. Please give me a hand. Um, if we haven't met, uh, my name's Gary, and this is my first Father's Day. And um, I thought this is the perfect, like I love showing pictures of my kids, I thought this is the perfect opportunity, because it's Father's Day, I can get away with it, okay? And first, yeah, before, I just want to say welcome to Titch Smith. Sorry, you can't compete with that, Titch, but I do want to say welcome to Titch Smith. He uh, really is the visionary of Live, and thank you so much for being with us, sir. Thank you. Okay, look at that boy. I got another one for you. Hey, just like the Father in heaven gave him to me, and um, oh, sorry. Just gonna <laughs> And objectively speaking, he is the most beautiful boy in the whole world. It's indisputable. And isn't that how every single parent feels about their kid? And the reason you do is so that you would know how the Father in heaven feels about you. He wired us that way. You know, my son, just go back there because he's awesome. You see those teeth? He's got eight now. He's eight teeth. And I'm like, my boy, look at that. He didn't do anything. It's not like he was like, oh, I'm growing teeth. It's just that happened all by himself, but I'm proud of him. And when you are who you are, your Father in heaven is proud of you. 
You don't have to do anything about it. You don't have to get up and say, I'm going to have a great day. And at the end of the day, God will add up the points to see if he's proud of you. He just sees you waking. The best part of my every morning is when I get out of bed and I go to my son. It's like sometimes I go to sleep at night. I'm like, I can't wait to wake up in the morning. And even if it's 4.30, like, okay, the first 30 seconds are rough. But after that, <laughs> do, do you realize the father watches and waits for you to wake up every morning? You think, I mean, how much more does your Father in heaven feel love towards you? And it's just an extraordinary thing. So many people said to me, when you become a dad, you'll know God's love. And it's true. I said to Roscoe a while ago, I said, I don't think you should be allowed to be a pastor. You know, because I studied theology. I said, I don't think you should be allowed to be a pastor until you've walked with someone in grief and you've had your own child. Because there's something that happens in those experiences that absolutely shapes you. And we all know that dads are important. I actually did some research for the sermon, and I found this amazing article that summarized uh, 50 years of research into fatherhood. And what they found about fathers is that if a child has an active and engaged father in the home, they are better academic achievers. They've got higher cognitive competence, they enjoy school better, they have better education into adult years, they have better career success, this is statistically, over a whole, better occupational competency, they're better at their jobs, better sense of psychological well-being, of stress resilience, of life satisfaction, of self-acceptance, better peer relations, better sibling interactions, more tolerant and understanding, they make more empathetic adults, they have better moral maturity, it reduces delinquent behavior. It has fewer behavioral issues at school. They've got a reduced amount of risky sexual behavior, and they choose better friends. An engaged father is the biggest determinant of a child's future success and fulfillment. Now, it's not the only determinant, and there are some amazing people who've done amazing things who grew up in fatherless homes, two of which are Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. So they did pretty well for themselves. It's not the only determinant, but statistically... Across the spectrum, an engaged father is the biggest determinant of future success. In fact, in the United States, a person who grows up with a father in the, in the home, you've got a better prediction of future success than their race, than their income background, than their gender or their sexuality, or any of the other things that people get labeled by. And we live in a world, and I think rightly so, where people are shouting for social justice and a sense of equality for people, and I think so much of that is good, but the shortest route to that is if they became advocates for fatherhood. If we want a more just, equitable society, the, 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 the single thing that we can do better as a society is have engaged fathers in homes. See, God always intended dads to play a particular role. In homes. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Don't provoke them. You know how guys, you know the love language of guys towards guys? Is you just like give them a hard time. You rip them off a little bit. But when we do that to our children, it provokes them to anger. And Colossians 3.21 actually says will result in discouragement. In other words, they'll lose their courage for life. Discouraged, to lose courage. 
says, rather bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Fathers, you have a unique responsibility to bring discipline into the life of your kids. Hebrews 12 says that what father is there that doesn't discipline the children that he loves? And discipline is not punishment. It's not punitive. It's for the benefit of that child. In other words, you'd be better off me helping you realize that there's consequences for behavior because life will teach you consequences. So either I will or life will. Better that I do it. Because I love you and life doesn't. Society doesn't. Your work environment doesn't, but I do. And so on the basis of that love, we get to mold and shape our children. And then instruct. Proverbs 22 says, 6 says this. Direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Deuteronomy 6, 6-7 says, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. In other words, the daily routines of life, figure out how I can pull God into that space. Hey, getting out of bedtime, how do I use that time? Every There's a ritual in the morning in your home. How do I bring God into that space to instruct my child? Because then it happens every single morning. Hey, the going to bedtime, what does your going to bedtime look like with your kids? How do you use that space to instruct your children? These are the routines and rhythms of life. That trip to school, that whatever it is in your, in your week, how do you build routine into that space to instruct your kids? So often when we hear about this stuff, we become so acutely aware of what we lacked from our own dads. And we can be discouraged. Maybe you didn't have a father in your home or in your life. Or maybe he was present physically but not emotionally. Or maybe he was a pretty good dad, but there were aspects which harmed you. Maybe you had a phenomenal father. And the good news for us is that God is so committed to healing that part of your life and bringing healing into your heart that he sent his son to die on a cross so that you could be brought to the Father. Malachi 4, 6 says this. It says, speaking about John the Baptist, actually, in the spirit of Elijah, which is broader than just John the Baptist, See, John the Baptist existed to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And some of us, in fact, all of us exist to prepare the way in people's lives for the coming of Jesus into their hearts. We carry, in a sense, the same call. And it says, His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I'll come and strike the land with a curse. Because fathers are so vitally important in the lives of their children, perhaps, and I'm well convinced of this, but I'm going to just say perhaps, the enemy has specific ploys to destroy the nature of that relationship because he knows that he can affect a society, a family, generations. And because God is so committed to being a father, perhaps, and I know he does, 
He's got a special tactic, a special plan to bring healing in that relationship. And that's what Chester was speaking about. The spirit of adoption. The fact that, and I'm not going to, I don't want to exclude women this morning, but it is Father's Day. The fact that as men and as fathers, we have a unique calling on our life and a responsibility to model the father heart of God, not just to our own families, but to society, in your workspace, wherever God's placed you. You're a father in that environment, and he's given you the spirit of Elijah, the spirit of adoption to carry with you into that space, because the world is desperate for fathers. So I want to do something that I've never done before. Uh, because it's first Father's Day and I'm like only eight months in, I thought I need to pull out the big guns here. I need to get some help. So I'm going to invite my dad to the stage this morning. Please, Bully. I get to call him Bully. You get to call him Frank. You can see where I get my heart from and my hair and my beard. Jugging. <laughs> Dad, thanks so much for being with us today. And but what I want to do today is I want to talk about a journey, and it's really our family story, of how the Father in heaven brought healing into this space in our story and in our lives about how he brought healing into the space. So, Dad, thank you so much for, for being with us and being willing to tell your story. Okay, we're there? Yes. Thank you so much to Gary uh, for inviting me. I know that this has been his, in his heart for a long time, and thank you to the Olive Tree for trusting me. <laughs> thank you. He's also, he's been in ministry for 40 years, but yeah, we trust you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just start by giving us a little bit of a background of the Blair story. Yeah, okay. Well, my story really starts in South Africa in the early 1900s. Uh, when a man from the Blair clan uh, married a lady from the Nash clan, and then they had two sons, one of which turned out to be my dad, Patrick Nash Blair. And so my dad was born uh, in 1929 between the wars and uh, in the middle of the Great Depression. And very significantly, uh, my dad lost his dad when he was about two years old, in circumstances that have never been very clear in the family. So we just move on from there. But because of the Great Depression, because things were very tough for his mom, uh, she made a decision to place my dad in the care of an orphanage. And so having lost his dad, he also lost his mom and his home as well. And then at the really tender age of uh, about 15, he decided that the orphanage wasn't a cool place to be. It was actually in Boxburg, up on, in Johannesburg. And he made his way to Cape Town, where the British battleship, the HMS Vanguard, was berthed. And he thought, oh, this might be exciting. And so he lied about his age and signed a piece of paper that gave 15 years of his life to the Royal Navy. 
and then he promptly found himself as an uh, anti-aircraft gunner in the North Atlantic fleet at the tail end of the Second World War. I think you've got a photo there. That's where I get my good looks from, right yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> Our grandparents' DNA is a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. It's true. I see him in my kid. Yeah, there's another photo just now. So, After the war, uh, my dad was stationed in Portsmouth, England, and he met and fell in love with a really gorgeous, redhead nurse, Phyllis Marion Hughes. There she is. Yes, come on, say, oh, ladies. <laughs> oh. I loved my mom. So they got married in 1950. My sister Marion was born in 1951, and uh, I followed in 1953. But the thing that's really the point of the story is that Patrick Nash became a husband and didn't know how to be a husband, and he became a father and he didn't know how to be a father because he had never seen a husband and he'd never seen a father. And on top of this, he was carrying a huge childhood wound of rejection and loss. Mm. And uh, I think that the thing is, is that as men, and I think it's for ladies too, but we, we crave the affirmation of father figures in our life. And so for him at 15 years old, very soon those father figures were sailors, which mm. is probably not such a good thing. Um, and so their, their world was about drinking and fighting and being tough. And I think that's really, I suppose, where he found his identity and a sense of value, but there was this massive deficit. It's kind of like he, he started life limping. So in 1967, um, my mom and dad decided to relocate. And so my um, teen years were then spent in um, South Africa. And it was really a time that um, was very, very difficult for me. And I need to mention here as well that while I, we, we, we grew up in the Rhodesias, and um, during that period, my father slipped into alcoholism, but recovered again from it. And so I don't really have a lot of uh, very clear memories about my, my childhood. Amazing story, actually, about how both my grandfathers were alcoholics, um, and both of them got saved and or through the intervention of God in their lives, got sober. And, um, and the amazing thing, I remember talking to my granddad about this, and he, he said to me, he said, uh, uh, there was a time in Rhodesia, he actually, he had been arrested and then broken a cop's jaw in jail and then had his jaw smashed. Uh, and he came out of jail at that time and said uh, to his wife, I need to stop drinking, but I don't know how. And she said, you need to pray. He said, I don't know how to pray. And she, you know, my grand was a very quiet, tough-as-nails lady, and she said, come, I'll show you. And she got on her knees, she started praying, and that was the turning point in his life. Um, and so, yeah, you guys relocated to South Africa, I think, at about 19 or... or 67, 1967. So, but it was also a really, really tough time for me because, I mean, you're relocating at a really important time in your age. In, and um, the thing that also was very tough for me is that my, my dad was a very tough man. He had spent 15 years in the Royal Navy. He was a championship boxer. He was a gymnast, a physical instructor, and very proudly an unbeaten bar fighter. I mean, that was what you did up on the copper belt in those days. 
And so when I turned out to be a sensitive and gentle and introverted son, I just never got the feeling that my dad was too happy about the sort of son that I turned out to be. And the, the truth is, is that, I mean, my dad also grew up boxing uh, in the stage. So my grandfather was the best in his weight division in the Royal Navy. My dad grew up in that space. And you're kind of heading in that thing. I think from the outside, it would have looked as th- th- that like you were kind of following in his footsteps. You got kicked out of Boy Scouts, which is funny, because they exist to help troubled youth, and then they kicked you out. Um, and then you got asked to leave a high school, and you're kind of on the same uh, pathway uh, as your dad. And the, ironically, and I think some of the conversations we've had is, in some ways, my grandpa tried to give the best he had to my dad. Yeah. It's just he didn't have very much. And he just thought the world's a bad place. The best thing I can do is help my kid be tough. But that really, when the constant message is you need to be tougher, what you really hear as a child is I'm not tough enough. Yeah. And so it really affected, I think, the view of yourself. And how did that affect you? Yeah. Well, it's It really affected me by just having no sense of identity. And so my teens really became a desperate search for meaning and purpose and belonging. And I really, looking back, I remember I just felt like I had nothing to anchor me and uh, nowhere uh, where I could experience a sense of belonging. And so, of course, it wasn't long before I began trying to deaden that raw emptiness inside of me with alcohol and drugs and bad company. And, of course, this didn't do very much for the relationship with my dad either. No. And the amazing thing for us is we're sitting here, so something happened, and that something was God. God we've got a massive God intervention uh, story in the midst of our family. So when did God start breaking into your life? Well, during all of this business that I was involved with, and, and the interesting thing was is that the emptiness just got bigger and bigger, and the whole inside of me just got deader and deader. And I was unhappy with what I was doing, but I didn't know how to get out of it. And I was just crushingly unhappy. And I used to lie outside at night and look up into the sky and I used to try and look past the stars, if you can understand that, and just think there has to be something. And then there would be a longing that would say, please, that there just could be something. Mm. And so one of the things that you need to understand is that, and I tell people this jokingly, but of course it's true of my family, But I grew up in a pagan family. We were really totally unchurched. Um, I did not know anything about Christianity. There was not an ounce of understanding or a little bit of religion inside of me to help or guide me in any single way. And yet during this time, despite all of this, um, and it's so vivid to me, one night I got out of bed and I knelt down next to it And I simply said, God, if you are out there and if you are real, won't you please make yourself real to me? And if you can help me, if you can change me, I'll give my life to you. I can't tell you what happened in that room. And I tell people this, but I I got up and I turned the light on because I thought someone was there. 
Mm. I turned the light off again, and the presence of just peacefulness and acceptance flooded that place in an absolutely amazing way. And I knew at that moment, immediately, I have been found by exactly what I'm looking for. Mm. And so then I went out, and this is really another thing that's so amazing given my background, but I went and bought a New Testament, a good news for modern man, and I began reading it. And I read it and read it and read it from Matthew to Revelation and back again and back again without changing very much. But I think God had the raw material to do something in my life. And so in December 1971, the Holy Spirit just dazzled me with the reality that Jesus Christ had died to save my life. Hmm. And it radically changed me. Things that I didn't want to do just began to fall off me. And I just found that the life of Christ flooded into my life so wonderfully, I suddenly found myself alive in a most amazing way. And so Jesus began to change me. He began to set me free for the life that he had purchased for me. And he really arrested me. And he began to impart to me a tremendous sense of purpose and meaning and belonging. How did this, I mean, change for you? How did it affect your relationship with your dad? So as I grew in my faith with the, the Lord, one of the clearest things I can ever remember him speaking about to me really, really early on was this, work to restore your relationship with your dad. And so I threw myself into it. And uh, you've got to understand, my dad was a skeptic. He had seen me doing alcohol. He'd seen me doing drugs. I disappointed him bitterly. And he just thought that this was going to be another one of those weird things that I got involved in. And so he, he rubbished my faith. He rehashed my past for me. But God just kept on giving me grace to reach out to him, to love him, and to build a relationship with him. And so after four years, dad just became utterly convinced by the change that he saw Jesus making in me and in my sister, who had also come to faith at that time. And he received Jesus Christ into his life. Thank you, Jesus. And I mean, you've never seen hard go to soft so quickly, <laughs> really. The change in my dad was just like dramatic. His gratitude for the grace that came upon him radically centered his life. And so my father now had a heavenly father. Mm. And he threw himself absolutely into everything in his father's kingdom. And you've got no idea what it was like one day for my sister and myself and the rest of the family to sit in the Edenvale Presbyterian Church and hear him share his story of how he came to faith by watching Jesus working in my sister and me. Mm. And so God really did restore my relationship with my dad. He built a, a, a wonderful intimacy between us. 
And we would just spend time sharing our faith and just talking theology <laughs> over and over. Because we, it's funny because we have done the same thing uh, over the years. My grandpa actually ended up as a pastoral assistant in the Presby Church. You couldn't be a minister unless you had a master's degree, and the old sailor wasn't going to go through that. So uh, he was a pastoral assistant, uh, actually, which means I'm the third generation pastor. And uh, my son will be fourth generation, whatever he wants, Um, but (laughs) hopefully. but I remember with Glee hearing a story where his sailor background came handy in the pastoral environment. They paid a home visit to a lady uh, who was in their church, and her husband wasn't, and her husband used to beat her. And they arrived there just after her husband had finished beating her, and my grandfather uh, got in his face and used some language, which I can't say in church, even though he was a pastor, and, say, and the guy took a swing at him, and obviously being an prof- almost professional boxer, he ducked and clubbed the guy, and then said, anytime you feel aggressive, Give me a call and I'll be here. And uh, they were driving, they left there. He was with a senior pastor, and the pastor just looked at him and said, That was some of the best pastoral counseling I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. And literally the next week, the guy was at church and, uh, and came and thanked him and said, That's exactly what I need. And he never hit his wife again. So God redeemed that sailor background, and um, we've got an opening of any Dallas boxes. Um, I'm joking. There's some pastoral things that you need some other skills for. Um, but I don't think you can get away with that anymore. I don't think so. I Anyway, so, Dad, there's often tears. I mean, you've spent 40 years in pastoral ministry, and we've spoken to, about this stuff so many times. There's often tears to, in tears, T-I-E, like layers to our healing. There's also tears in the healing journey, but layers to our healing journey. Um, and later in life, God actually brought you to a greater sense of healing. Like, he had restored your relationship with your dad, but there was still some stuff in your life that he needed to do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so... Coming to faith, my dad coming to faith was not really the whole story. And so fast forward a little bit, and I'm heading into my 40s, and um, I began to discover that there was unfinished business. And so I was going through a period in my life where I was working 11, 12-hour days for a good few years, Alison and I were involved in cross-cultural ministry. I was leading a small church of just over 100 people. And um, just slowly but surely, the wheels began falling off. And um, I knew that I was headed for burnout. And so I set the church in order. I handed it over to a young man. And I just relinquished all of my responsibilities kept my job and focused on my family. But I knew that despite this, I was really, really in serious, serious difficulties. And so eventually I reached out to a really wonderfully godly man who thankfully for me was actually a Pentecostal doctor of psychology. I'm not sure what that means, but it was important in the journey. He, he sat me down and he said, Frankie, Depression is not your enemy, it's your friend. And it's saying to you and telling you that there's work that you still need to do. Mm. And so in our third meeting with him, I just made a comment about my preteens and he had made a comment that was really very innocuous. And yet it felt like a white hot shaft had been driven straight through my heart. He saw it, I knew it. He didn't say anything about it because he knew I was still 
pretty fragile. I managed to hold myself together. And the amazing thing was, is that looking back on it, I actually realized this was God. Hmm. And he was piercing the wound in my heart. And so I got into my car and the floodgates opened and I just wept. I can't tell you how I wept. And this is what I heard coming out of my mouth. I really mean this, like it was an out-of-a-body experience. These are the words that came out of my mouth. Why couldn't he just have loved me? Why couldn't he just have loved me? Of course, referring to my dad. And so I need you to know, I knew that my dad wasn't a bad man. He, he was just a broken and wounded man doing the best that he could. And yet as much as I understood this, my heart ached for the affirmation and love and connection to a father. And so my heavenly father took me on a long journey of recovery. And he graciously began peeling away layer after layer after layer of pain and replaced it with his fatherly love and acceptance. And I found that God led me to find ways to express and to acknowledge my pain. I learned to put it into words and to articulate it to him. And as I did this, I was actually able to just release it. And as I released it, my heavenly father found ways to deposit his grace and his love and his mercy into me. And a healing process began to take place until one day it was all gone. Mm. And I was healed and I was free and, and I was whole. Mm. And so I really do want to say just as I really wrap up my part of this is that I thank God for my mom and dad. They're two of the most courageous people I've ever known. Uh, they modeled courage to us in a most amazing way. And I also want to acknowledge today before you and before my heavenly father is that I think I've been a better father than my father, but I haven't been a perfect father. But he's granted me grace to be able to point my sons to their heavenly father Amen. and see him working in them and them growing up to be godly men. And so in an amazing way, God reached into our family. He touched me so that he could reach back to my daddy, another dip, a past generation, and then through me to reach forward to the next generation. And I'm just really so grateful to have been a part of his mission in this. Amen. Last thing, there might be so many men and women here who may just identify with aspects of your story and our various places of dealing with it, what would you say to them? I would say, and I want to really address particularly the men, ladies are very good at expressing their feelings. Men sort of struggle with this a little bit. But I would say to the men especially, don't run away from your pain. Mm. Own it and face it and run with it to Jesus. Amen. And so don't close it in, open it up to him. And as you use words to express and release your pain, the Holy Spirit 
will lead you to Jesus, and Jesus will lead you to your heavenly Father. Amen. And the heavenly Father will wrap himself around you and soak into you until all of the woundedness is replaced by his chosenness, his love, and his acceptance. And so to the men, I really want to say you have to begin and you have to finish, and it is a process. Thank you so much. Please. Thank you, Bali. I'm so grateful for what God has done for me. Is this thing on? Yeah. Ah, sorry. Um, for, for what God's done for me. And, and as my dad said, he, he wasn't a perfect father. But the thing that he really did for me is he modeled his faith. I didn't see a different man in the pulpit than I saw in our home. When he was going through pain, he allowed us to see it. And uh, he allowed us into that spaces. And so I didn't have this picture of serving Jesus as perfection. I had this picture of Jesus' perfection, and we serve him. And um, God really used that for me. And um, I've got two brothers. We, all three of us, by the grace of God, love Jesus, uh, love our wives, love our kids. And uh, it's because it was modeled to us. And so many of you, you, you're identifying more with my dad's part of the story, and you're that first generation of God got hold of your life. And you need to know that the journey you walk will set your kids up in an amazing way. And I want to talk to you about a, a principle we see in Scripture in terms of the Father. Uh, I'm going to have you for another seven minutes. Um, between the Father in heaven and us. It's the principle of the much more. Hebrews 12 verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? There's a way of relating to our earthly father, but there's a much more way of relating to our heavenly father. Because let me tell you, there's a much more way that your heavenly Father relates to you. And uh, six times in the Gospels, they refer to this. Jesus speaks to this. And so Matthew seven eleven, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Matthew eleven thirteen, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Consider the ravens, Luke 12. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barns, yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than birds? But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and thrown tomorrow is thrown into the, into the oven, how much more will he clothe you of your little faith? God has invited us into a how much more relationship with our heavenly Father. How much more than your earthly father? How much more than the birds? How much more than the beautiful lilies of the field? It's a much more relationship. And he's asking you to how much more him in your life. And so often our disappointment can land in a place. But how much more greater is our heavenly father than the source of our pain? There's no longing in the human heart that God cannot fulfill. No longing for intimacy, no longing for connection, no longing for someone to discipline us and instruct us in life and to lead us, to be there for us, to care for us, to provide for us. How much more will your Father in heaven reach out to you, touch the places of your heart that you never thought would be healed, bring healing and life to them and create in you a legacy and a story that will touch the people around you? You see, God is jealous about the nature of his relationship with us. 
And the end point for our relationship is not me and my dad. The end point is me and my heavenly father. The end point for your life is your father in heaven. Look at what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 23 verse 9. Don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. You have to reserve a special place in your heart that your Father in heaven will, will, will come and live in and dwell in. When I, I lived in Israel for four years, and I remember sitting out there, I'd see all the kids playing, and I'd hear them going, Abba, Abba, Ima, Ima, Abba, Abba, which we know from Scripture is Father, Father, and Ima, Ima is Mom. And so it was very normal in my head at that time to call, refer to my dad as Abba, and obviously I prayed to my Father in heaven uh, all the time, Abba, Father. And I remember one day, uh, shortly back from Israel, uh, uh, my dad was over there and I shouted, Hey, Abba. And I just heard God speak to me so distinctly. Don't call him Abba. I'm your Abba. He's my dad, but I have a father in heaven. Whatever your relationship with your dad is, you have a father in heaven and he's jealous for you. When my son was five months old, he was sick with fever, and we had to rush him to a hospital. And in that moment, I knew I'd tear the world apart to save my son. And the Father in heaven sent his son for you, not just that he can forgive you of your sins, but that you would know him as a father, as a much more father. This morning, for the first time, my son called me Dada. And there isn't a parent in here who doesn't know what that means. Because your heart explodes within you. At first you're in disbelief. Was that that or was that just more bubbling? And then he did two or three more times. I was like, yes. <laughs> I'm trying to teach him to call my wife not Dada. I'm joking. <laughs> Mama, but that's slower for them. When you call out to your father in heaven, Abba Father, his heart explodes. There's not a sound in the world he would rather hear than your voice addressing him as his father because he loves you. And there isn't a stone that he won't turn over to bring healing and fullness of life to your heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can address you, Abba Father. Thank you so much for Father's Day. You're the best Father we could ever wish for. I pray, God, that I spend, that we spend the rest of our lives discovering you as a Father and making you real to others. And I pray for every person here who has a father wound or a father hole in them that says, I want you to come and sit in that space. I want you to come and make yourself real to me. I pray for men who appear to have it all together on the surface, but underneath they are desperate for the affirmation of a father. I pray for women who long for a daddy to be safe with and to protect them. If you are here this morning and you want to know the Father in heaven as your Father, I want you to know that Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you can have that relationship. 
And if you'd like to give your heart to Jesus this morning and say, Jesus, take me to the Father. If that's you, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you quickly. Whoever you are, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. He loves you. He's relentless in his love for you. Anyone else, I want to give my life to Jesus this morning. I want to know the Father in heaven. I'm just going to pray for those people, and you can pray the simple prayer in your own heart. Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God, that you died for my sins, and you rose from the dead. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Take me to the Father. And Father God, I just pray that you shower them with your love. Shower them with your love. Every man and woman in here that they know, they know, they know, they know the love of God, which is past knowing. In Jesus' name, amen.